Hello, and welcome to the Benefits Compliance Podcast. I'm Chase Cannon, and I'm here with my colleague, Beth Allen. Uh, We're both attorneys with the Benefits Compliance team here at NFP, and we're on this podcast to break down some of the important employee benefit topics that uh, relate to and impact employers. And uh, Beth, often our topics revolve around healthcare reform or health and welfare, uh, but you especially have an interest in retirement and expertise in retirement. And so today we are going to um, focus on something called the SECURE Act. And this is uh, new retirement plan legislation. Congress always seems to be very creative with the acronyms that they come up with for these new laws. So what, what, what is the SECURE Act? Okay, thanks Chase. So the full name of the SECURE Act is the Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Enhancement Act. I'm obviously only going to say that one time uh, because that's quite a bit. So we're going to refer to it as the SECURE (laughs) Act for the rest of this podcast. But the SECURE Act was basically passed in the House of Representatives in May, and it's currently sitting in the Senate. Um, And the reason why it's so important that we're doing a podcast about it is because if it does pass, then the act would be pretty much the most substantial retirement legislation that we've seen since the Pension Protection Act of 2006. Right. So that's all the way back in 2006. They weren't quite as creative with the acronym back then. PPA, Pension Protection Act, uh, but that's been 13 to 14 years since that last major retirement plan legislation. What's, What's going on now that's made it to where Congress is really looking to get this through? I think that's a good question, Chase, and really I think it's kind of a result of multiple things that have happened over the years. Mm-hmm. And so at first I would say that some of the buildup to this act started during the Obama administration. Remember that there was the whole discussion of the DOL's fiduciary rule, which really put retirement plans in the spotlight. Um, along with that, the administration also focused on this idea that not enough employees have access to retirement plans. And so there are polls and surveys out there that say that upwards of 50% or more of the population don't actually have access to a retirement plan through their job. And so potentially to deal with that, the Obama administration started this My RA program, which is kind mm-hmm. of a takeoff of IRAs, um, where an employee could basically start saving through, uh, through their employer through a plan that was facilitated by the federal government. Mm. And so that's kind of one thing that kind of led to the SECURE Act. Then you fast forward to the current presidential administration, and they're also eager to make some changes to the retirement regulations. And so President Trump actually issued an executive order where he directed the agencies to work on ways to offer open multiple employer plans on retirement and to even streamline the current retirement plan regulations to make offering a retirement plan easier for employers. Um, The Trump administration got rid of the MyRA program but they still seem to be in favor of basically the industry stepping in as an entity that's going to help individuals offer retirement plans as well. And so since I kind of brought up the retirement industry, I'll also point out that they have really been pushing for changes for years. And so we've seen a lot of lobbying efforts by different firms that work with retirement plans. um, And they've worked with congressional members to basically bring some sort of legislation to the table. Um, The SECURE Act kind of follows other iterations of the same type of provisions. So we saw RESA, which was the Retirement Enhancement and Savings Act, another acronym. Um, Mm -hmm. And that kind of bill also went pretty far. And so really, it's this whole perfect storm of just interest in changes under the retirement, you know, regulations that brought the SECURE Act to where we are. Right. It seems like there always has has to be kind of a perfect storm to get anything through. But it's interesting that this bill seems to have bipartisan and even presidential support. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't really get that with anything 
seems like these days in Washington, right? To say it's gridlock is an understatement. But uh, with that in mind, I wanted to turn to what's in the SECURE Act. And since there um, seems to be quite a bit of changes here, I thought we'd do sort of a lightning round where I throw out a topic and you briefly state what the SECURE Act changes. Does that sound doable? Yeah, I think it'll be good. Okay, so first topic is the auto enrollment safe harbor. Great. So this provision of the SECURE Act basically allows employers that have implemented a Qualified Automatic Enrollment Arrangement, or QUACA, to auto-increase employee contributions to 15% instead of what it currently is, which is 10%. All right. Next, uh, multiple employer plans. So this is actually a provision that we've seen a lot of movement on on both legislation and possibly from the Trump administration. Um, the bill provides for what we call open multiple employer plans or open MEPs, which would allow basically for employers to band together to offer retirement plans. It's similar to what we've seen with the Association Health Plan um, rules and guidance that was put out there. And so that those rules would essentially allow for plans to band together um, to offer that retirement plans without any restrictions on the relationship between employers or where they are, um, and that would help the employer have to do less, basically, to comply with ERISA. Got it. Okay. Lifetime income. So lifetime income is actually one um, where we get three provisions for one topic, kind oh, of. I like that. And so, right, one provision would actually require employers to disclose to their employees an estimate of monthly annuities that a participant could expect their account to produce when they're in retirement. So the idea would be kind of to give the employee an idea of the defined benefit that they would get every month from their defined contribution plan. Mm -hmm. The second provision relates to lifetime income um, that employers uh, would be able to essentially have a fiduciary safe harbor for when they choose those lifetime annuities or income products. So, so the idea would be that the employer would select the annuities that the participants could um, select and that they would be kind of protected under the fiduciary rules. And then the third provision would make it to where annuity options are more portable. And so if I as an employee leave an employer or if my employer stops offering that annuity product, then the idea would be that I could kind of take that annuity and port it or convert it to some other um, type of plan. Got it. So that's a nice trifecta there for lifetime income. What about the 401k safe harbor? Sure. So this is one where, you know, you might need a little background here. Mm -hmm. A 401k safe harbor plan basically allows for an employer to avoid certain non-discrimination testing if they meet the requirements of the safe harbor. And one of those requirements is that they basically contribute a non-elective contribution to the plan. Mm -hmm. And so this provision in the SECURE Act would actually take away the requirement for the employer to provide what's called a safe harbor notice um, to their employees. And then it would also change the rules to allow for the employer to adopt that safe harbor plan any time before the 30th day before the end of the plan year. And so instead of having to adopt it at the beginning of the year, they would you know, possibly have up to 11 months to adopt that plan. Got it. So a few things that make that safe harbor more achievable for employers. Absolutely. Next topic uh, is required minimum distributions. Great. So this is another topic where we see a couple of different provisions in the act that concern the requirement of minimum distributions. And RMDs or required minimum distributions are just a point at which someone who's involved in the plan has to start taking contributions. And so one provision of the act would basically increase the age 
wage at which employees or individuals have to start taking that minimum distribution. And they're going to increase it from 70 and a half to 72. Now that one, one and a half year difference, I don't know how much of a difference that makes, but I mean, mm-hmm. there have been studies out there that show that apparently changing that number from 70 and a half to 72 would be a good thing. Another provision that would change the rules um, as it pertains to requirement minimum distributions um, would change how the distributions are treated once the person dies. Um, and so the idea now is that the beneficiary could essentially go pretty much a whole lifetime without distributing um, those funds. But this particular provision would shorten that am- amount of time to 10 years. Um, and that provision is known for known as a pay for because it is actually used to pay for some of the other things that this bill is offering. Got it. Okay. So, uh, it's somewhat similar to that, what will be done on the maximum age for IRA contributions? This is another one um, that will change that kind of has to do with people's age. And so the current ideas under the IRA rules are that you can only contribute to the IRA until you are 71 and a half. There's that magic mm-hmm. age again. Um, and this particular provision would actually change it to where individuals could contribute to an IRA basically until they die. Um, and so that places no limit on how old you can be and contribute to an IRA. Did you say 71 and a half or 70 and a half? I said it, the current rule is 70 and a half, and it will change it to, I guess, until you die. Great. Okay. What about tax credits for small employer plan startup costs? Right. So this is another provision that will allow for small employers to essentially, you know, try to start a retirement plan. Um, and the point here is that they are going to get a greater tax credit than what is currently allowed, um, up to $5,000, whereas the current number is much smaller than that. Um, and then also, there's going to be a small employer tax credit for specifically starting a plan that has an auto-enrollment feature. And so not only could they get up to the $5,000 for starting a plan, but they could get an additional $500 just for starting a plan where employees are automatically enrolled. Sounds great for the small employers, Beth. Uh, What about the parents out there? Uh, What's the provision in the SECURE Act relating to childbirth or adoption? This is an interesting one because the general rule, if you're going to take money out of your 401k, is that there are only very specific issues like hardships that would allow for you to take that money out without having the penalty. Um, And so this provision actually allows for participants to take up to $5,000 out of their retirement account, and that would be tax-free if they do so within a year of giving birth or adopting a child. I like that one. It's interesting. I think a lot of parents will look forward to that. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about provisions and there's still a bunch more. Uh, How about we end out with a few of the provisions that will directly affect employer plan sponsors? I think that's a good um, thing to do. And there's going to be a number of provisions that really will affect how employer plan sponsors actually administer their plan. So, for example, there's a rule that requires retirement plan eligibility for long-term part-time workers. And that is different from what we have now because right now the rules say that you can require up to a a year of service um, for someone before you offer them the 401k plan. Um, However, when it comes to part-time employees, they generally don't get to the 1,250 hours that would be required to be considered kind of full-time for a year. Mm -hmm. And so this particular portion of the rule would say that if I am a part-time employee that has worked for an employer for three years, um, and each of those three years I worked 500 hours, then I would also be eligible for the 401k. 
401k plan, so I'd have to be eligible. Nice. Mm-hmm. There's also a provision that would allow for a plan to be treated as adopted as long as the employer adopted the plan by their tax filing deadline for the particular plan year. Um, and so that's interesting, you know, but there are some times when employers will want to set up a plan kind of after the, the given plan year has started. Uh, this is generally for tax purposes, um, but this would allow them to do that even later. And then the last one that I'll mention um, is that the provision there's a provision that would allow for an employer that has multiple 401k or defined contribution plans to file one form 5500. Um, and so right now, if it's a different plan, then it has to have a different form 5500, and mm-hmm. this would change that. That sounds like a great simplification, actually, for the employers would welcome, right? Right. So that, that's a bunch of different changes you've described just in the last few minutes. It's hard to believe there's still more. Right. Uh, but um, obviously we can see now how this legislation would bring major changes to how retirement plans are offered and how they would impact um, plan sponsors and plan participants alike. So um, the big elephant in the room, where is this legislation now and will we see it get passed soon? What's going to happen in the Senate? So this is where it kind of gets a little bit dramatic. And I think that as mm-hmm. compliance people, we live for these moments where things kind of take a turn <laughs> that we didn't expect, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I mentioned at the onset of our conversation that the SECURE Act passed the House and it's now sitting in the Senate. Um, but I'll point out that the Act actually passed in May, again, and it passed by a vote of 417 to 3. And so that's, that's as crazy. close, right, that's as right. close as you unanimous as we can get these days. Um, And so that's a big deal. The bill immediately went to the Senate, and I mentioned that the vote happened in May, um, and we still don't actually have a vote from the Senate, okay? The industry thought that we were going to get a vote on it by unanimous consent. Right. And it's important to stop there, Beth, and explain quickly that the Senate actually has a process that they can use to bypass committees and the debate process and send the bill straight to a vote, right? Right. So the kicker is there that that every single senator has to agree to that. Right. And I'll assume that since the Senate has not yet voted on that, there are a few senators out there holding holding up. Right. So not to kind of call them out, but um, we actually have one of our senators from the great state of Texas, Ted Cruz, who's holding up the legislation. And he apparently specifically wants a provision in there that would allow for for, uh, parents to basically use their 529 educational plans to pay for homeschooling expenses. Um, And so that's why he is kind of holding up the legislation. Um, Mm -hmm. It also seems that Pennsylvania Senator Pat Toomey is holding up the legislation um, because there was a portion of the bill that was added that would provide certain tax relief for Gold Star families. And he didn't feel like that should just be tacked onto the SECURE Act Mm -hmm. um, versus having it being voted on by itself. Um, And so that's also holding it up. And then there's also kind of rumors that Senator Mike Lee is also kind of holding it up because the bill also has certain pension relief for community newspapers. So all of those are totally different reasons, but those three gentlemen are kind of holding up the vote in the Senate as well. Interesting. There's always something going on in the background, right? It's it's interesting to hear those names and hear those reasons. So with the holdup on the bill in the Senate, what do you think is going to happen? Is it looking like the bill will still get through this year or at at any point? Yeah, so I think that most of us in the industry still believe that it's going to pass sometime this year, right? The latest thoughts um, are that it could be tacked on to the spending bills that will come at the end of this year. Um, And since there's such bipartisan support on the issue, it doesn't seem like adding the SECURE Act provisions to the spending bills will actually keep the spending bills from being adopted. Mm -hmm. And so then if that happens, then the bill would pass, hopefully, the House and the Senate, because it might be connected to the spending bills, and then the president would be able to sign it. But it's hard to know 
like if that's exactly going to be what the path is, right? Mm -hmm. I think the ultimate nightmare for some proponents of the bill would be if the Senate never takes it up, right? So if Mitch McConnell never allows a vote on it, um, or it doesn't get added to one of the spending bills by some kind of stretch of the imagination. And then we'd be going into the kind of heart of the 2020 election season. Right. And I just don't know if anything is going to get done during that time, right? <laughs> and so that would probably be kind of looked at as disastrous. But a lot of people don't really think that it's going to get that far, especially, again, since there's really bipartisan support for it. Right. So I, I could see how it would be the worst case scenario for the SECURE Act, uh, at least for proponents of the SECURE Act, to die after having been passed in the House. But stranger things have happened, right? Right. Stranger Things, one of my favorite shows on right now, by the way. <laughs> so I'm sure we'll continue to follow all this, and I'm sure industry organizations will continue to lobby for this bill, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, there are many different organizations that are really fighting for this bill because they think it will ultimately change how retirement plans are offered in this country. Um, I think the hard thing about it all is that the more time that goes by, the more scrutiny arises, right? Yeah. So for example, the media has kind of picked up and chosen to kind of harp on a couple of the provisions of the act. And so we know know how the media can be and kind of it'll be interesting to see if that leads to some congressional changes on the bill or whether or not it'll get voted on as is. So I'm sure the industry and the bill sponsors would love to see the SECURE Act passed sooner than later. Right. Yeah. The longer it sits around, the, the more critics can pick up on and start building a case against it. Right? right. So that's always a challenge. Well, Beth, thanks so much for joining us and for discussing the SECURE Act today. It's always great to uh, sprinkle in some retirement into our podcast, and we really appreciate your insight as always. Great. Uh, so thanks for, for that. And on that note, we want to say thanks for listening. And as we like to say, it's a wrap. That's a wrap. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thank you.